Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually and then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello, welcome to 2020 and a new season of Selling the Couch. Welcome to session 213. I'm actually recording this in October of 2019. Just to get a little bit ahead in terms of podcast episodes and things like that, but I wanted to wish you a happy new year. I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful for our businesses, where we are going in terms of clinical work and some of the big things that we're doing in the world to share our message. And I'm just so grateful that you've continued to tune into this podcast as I actually record this. We are getting really close to 1 million overall downloads, which I would have never imagined in my life. Maybe like if I had done this for like a decade or two, but I didn't expect it to happen in in five years. And so just so grateful that you've taken the time to listen. Today's podcast is with my friend Kurt Widhelm. Kurt is out in Los Angeles, California. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist. His website is over at kurtwidhelm.com. And Kurt actually works with high-achieving teens. And I wanted to have Kurt on the podcast to, one, speak to that niche, why he focused on it, what he learned. The really cool thing you'll learn in this podcast is Kurt is actually a marathon runner and he was competitive in high school and is actually a level two trainer for U.S. track and field, I think is what is what he mentioned. But I'm excited for this conversation because I think it speaks to the power of niching and the power of almost sub-niching within a niche, right? So Kurt chose to not just focus on teens, but particularly on high-achieving teens. And we're going to talk a lot about the lessons he's learned along the way how he has conversations with parents, for example, with regard to his fees. As I record this, he's charging $225 an hour to work with him. And what does that conversation look like? And when, you know, when he approaches fees with parents and all of those different things and some of the stuff that he shares, I I was like, man, that's just such a good way of looking at it. Right. And I'm excited to share this episode with you. Before we do get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank a brand new sponsor to welcome them to the Selling the Couch family. Uh, That sponsor is Wellnessfy. Wellnessfy is an accounting firm that specifically works with a range of young professionals, but particularly with therapists in private practice. In fact, they serve over 50 therapists, counselors, and psychologists and coaches. They provide a ton of stuff, including tax advising, bookkeeping, getting taxes prepared, and then 
something that I'm thinking a lot about, which is business compliance. So the benefit of being a solo proprietor versus an LLC versus an S-Corp, those kind of things. You can learn more about Wellnessify and the services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash wellnessfi and that's F-I, so W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-F-I. We'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Kurt Widhelm from KurtWidhelm.com. Hey, Kurt, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, you were so gracious to have me on your podcast, and the least I could do is return the favor. I'm excited for today's conversation because this is not a topic that I've had a lot, which is, you know, having a niche in just working with teens and more specifically with high achieving teens. So I'm really excited to pick your brain and for grateful that you're willing to share your knowledge with us. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to share this. It's something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, no, I looked at your website and I could just tell. So I think one of the, the things that I most loved about your website is I sensed that passion. And then the website was also like fun. Like you had a Dr. Seuss quote and, you know, <laughs> like it was so, I don't know. I felt like there were your personality was evident in the website, which was very cool. Because I know that for many of us, like we almost have that fear of like how much to put out there. You know, I can't, I need to like stay super professional. And I don't want you painting me in a corner that I'm not super professional, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, not over, at all. over the podcast that I run with Katie Vernoy, the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, so much of what we talk about is really making sure that your passion is out there. So that way the the kinds of clients that you're going to really respond to are also going to really respond to you. And I think that that's really in working in this teen space is being able to not only appeal to the kids, but also be able to appeal to their parents. Because it's not like there's a lot of teenagers out there doing a lot of research for their own therapists. That a lot of times it comes from from their parent direction too. Right. Yeah. No, that's like a subtle way to distinguish that. And I'm like, I'm glad you said that because I really like do want to pick your brain on that. But I wanted to start by asking like, what made you actually focus on working with teens? So I am one of those therapists that I went straight into college. I went straight into my master's degree. Mm. I went through my pre-license hours very, very quickly and passed my licensing tests and was ready to launch my practice at the ripe old age of 26. <laughs> and there wasn't a whole lot of adults at the time that were like, yeah, you've got the world figured out. I'm going to come to see you. Mm. And so I kind of naturally settled with a age that was going to respond to me a little bit better. And that was teenagers. That mm -hmm. There's so much, especially as being a male therapist, of being in a heavily female-dominated field that I started getting a lot of calls of, hey, my son wants therapy from a male therapist, or we need our son in therapy, but he's kind of not gelling with a lot of female therapists. And so it was kind of a path of least resistance at first, as far as the age group that I started working with, just because it was people who I was close in age with, and I could kind of respond to a lot of the things that they were into and do it genuinely. And that really solidified a lot of the good therapeutic relationship early on in working with younger teenage clients. And I wasn't scared by them either. I know a lot of therapists kind of have this, you know, oh, teens are angsty or teens just don't respond or they're going to fight against everything. And I really just kind of went with the flow with it, which allowed for a lot of the early sessions that I had with people to just have them walk out of the first session and be like, you know, you're not like other therapists. And that really helped to just make it really easy to be present in the room with them. What do you think it was that you did 
or how you were like in those first sessions that made those teens be like, oh my gosh, this is so different? So I start almost all of my initial intake sessions with the teens and their parents in the room and do this just to cover some of the boundary issues, informed consent, limits of confidentiality, and these kinds of things. But it also gives me a very powerful tool of about 10 or so minutes into the session of making it kind of a point to send the parents out to the waiting room. And so that way I can talk with the teen and get to know them a little bit better. And the first question that I always ask once the parents leave the room is, what is up with your parents? And it's such a great insight into what the family dynamic situation is from the kid's angle, because I get anything from, ah, they're all right, to see, you see it too. You see, you see just how bad it is. But it's also this very symbolic power shift. I'm not just going to take what your parents say as gospel. I'm also going to make it a point to listen to you and to really give you a power in the space. Most of the parents, I even prep them with, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But what it does is it helps to empower that voice that allows for teens to feel that it's more respectful and like they've got more of a stake in what their outcome is. Yeah. I mean, it's such a subtle but powerful thing because I'm I'm just even thinking about it when you were talking a lot of times, I would think it's a very like small occurrence where the teen's like highly motivated to come to therapy. And, you know, it's usually the parent has called their parents kind of pushing them into therapy, or there might be, you know, something like, you know, they're coming out of a hospitalization or something like that. And I love how you're speaking to the power dynamics and and being so thoughtful about addressing that even 10 minutes in. And it just sets the tone for a really good first session. And I talk, especially with those teens that are drug into therapy, when they bring in their parents at the end of the session, we kind of start talking longer term scheduling or treatment plan sort of options. The best compliment that I get is usually not, that was a really good session and I'm looking forward to coming back. But the most genuine compliments that I tend to get are, that wasn't bad. Hmm. And it just kind of goes with this, I know how much you were fighting in the car on the way over here to end an hour later with, yeah, that wasn't bad, really does speak to a very genuine conversation that we can build on from there. Uh, So really random, do majority of your clients tend to be teen boys or is it kind of like split or how? It's really split and it really kind of depends on what the the trends are here in the Los Angeles neighborhood is that sometimes I'll, I'll really swing to a lot of really aggressive boys. I've managed to develop some really good referral sources at a number of different places over the years. So sometimes there's just kind of these little mini behavioral or emotional epidemics that'll happen at a certain school. Like all of a sudden, a certain high school might have a bunch of adolescent self-harm instances. And that might be something that ends up shifting a bunch of girls into my practice. Or it might really come to a time of the year where it's all about sports. And so just being kind of the guy and being into athletics myself, that that might attract a lot more of athletes from a, a certain school. So it really kind of swings. Overall, I'd say my practice tends to be about 60-40 towards boys. That's cool. Random. What sports are you into? So I have been a marathon runner for going on about 10 years now. I've completed 14 marathons. I've done a bunch of half marathons, shorter races. I'm actually a USA track and field certified level two coach, which uh, I had no idea. 
No, it's basically a master's degree in coaching endurance sports is what I have. And it's really something that I have really, really loved running. I've burnt myself out on running. I've come back to it and several times and really just kind of appreciated it for the science, but also the mindfulness of being able to take care of myself in this kind of field. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool niche, like boys that are marathon runners, and that are marathon runners. And a lot of the principles that I've learned in this translate to a ton of different sports and even outside of sports. And in my practice, working with high achieving teens, working with high achieving adults, even as some of my clients have aged into adulthood, is so many of the principles that I've learned from running, either in developing training plans or even just being in the sports at a somewhat competitive level is things that translate to a number of different areas, whether it's other sports, whether it's academics, whether it's music, whether it's arts, is there's some pretty consistent aspects of being at your peak performance in whatever field that you're in. And the vast majority of what I've learned from running and in this coaching process that applies almost universally to gifted and talented or high achieving people is stressing the need for rest. And this is where so many of the people who come to my office are anxious and wanting to get more. They're not quite getting to that level that they want to. And chances are it's because their schedule's overloaded and that they're not focused on being able to achieve in the area that they want to. It's that they're trying to do seven or eight or nine other things and they just don't have the time to clarify what their mind is, give their mind, give their body enough rest in order to be able to take on the next day's worth of workouts or the next day's worth of studying in order to reach the goals that they feel that they're capable of. That's such a cool, I'm like listening to this. I'm like, this is so cool. And I'm even like thinking about, I don't know, some of the stuff I follow and some of the stuff I've been doing, which is, well, I know, you know, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm like a huge basketball junkie. And so I remember like, I mean, recently just looking at like a lot of like, you know, like just Instagram, like random players that I follow, right? It's so interesting The even after a lot of these posts are about rest and even like after games, like they've got these like huge compression things on their legs and, you know, and, and it is interesting just how in the world of sports and this high achievement, like how we talk all about like getting to the, the, the end result, but we don't talk enough about that. It's a series of short sprints, right? As opposed to like this long, never ending marathon. Right. And being from the marathon world, one of the examples that I point to a lot is Dina Castor is kind of the the princess of American distance running. She's such a phenomenal person and everybody in the running community knows of her. And when she won the bronze medal at the Beijing Olympics for the marathon, her training about a month before the marathon was somewhere between 120 and 140 miles a week which is just phenomenal. But she was also sleeping 12 to 14 hours a day. And this is just speaking to the level of rest that somebody needs is that most of what she's doing is putting herself in this space to recover from the stress. It's stress and rest. It's not just stress and it's not just rest, but it's being able to do both in conjunction with each other that whether it's running at high level Olympic level marathons or in my practice, a lot of times it's people balancing out four or five AP classes with Mm. swimming and with the volunteer clubs and everything else that they're doing to move their grade from 99% to 100%. And 
so much of all of this is really slowing people down enough to where they're not just constantly on, that their brains are actually able to take information from kind of that short-term memory system and be able to put it into long-term memories. So that way, the stuff comes more naturally to them. That's really interesting. I, I wanted to like shift a little bit because I wanted to go back to one of the things you said. So you you started initially by focusing on teens and then you kind of niched down to high achieving teens. What like data or what research did you gather to realize that high achieving teens might be like a viable niche? So I looked at a number of the kids who were coming into my practice. And part of this is just based in my practice being in West LA, which tends to be more affluent, tends to be parents who push their kids a little bit more. And I don't remember the initial thing that I was reading or coming across. It might've even been, you know, just a a little Yahoo article that was talking about how gifted and talented kids who are identified in second, third, fourth grade tended to be less risk averse, or they tended to be more risk averse. And this is because they were really facing a shift of this is when the academics start changing to where things that had always naturally come very easily to them were now starting to be a little bit more of a challenge and needing to involve more work. And without the right kind of support system around them, a lot of these kids were just stepping back to always just putting forth the amount of effort that they always have and seeing diminishing results as opposed to readjusting what they were doing as far as their approaches to, in this case, academics and learning new skills of new ways to approach things. And so I started talking with a lot of parents at the time of, you know, maybe we should really just start focusing more on the effort that kids are putting in rather than what the results are. And I really started to develop some of this idea around the encouraging parents, especially early on, to focus on the effort because that was the skills that were going to be more in place once they hit middle school and once they hit high school. And then I started coming across more and more research. James Webb is a PhD who's written a a really good book on this, and it's called Searching for Meaning, Idealism, Bright Minds, Disillusionment, and Hope. And this kind of really speaks in this area where without the right kinds of stress, that is laid out for these kids. And and this is that good stress, that just challenging enough material, just challenging enough practices, that in the absence of that, what we tend to see is kids pull away and withdraw and feel bitter and disillusioned about what they're doing, that they're not getting the same kinds of results for the effort that they're putting into things. And then they end up becoming bitter or depressed because they're not living up to the level of achievement that they feel that they're capable of. Yeah, that's such an interesting, I mean, because I I even think about my own journey of like when that happened for me. And I think like the way you described it was like very true. I, I kind of got to a point where, you know, I hit a personal wall and yeah, and I don't know, it's just, it's fascinating. Like when you think about like, just, you know, like niches and the, even like subtle things like teens, right? Like all the subtleties that can occur as a result of context. Right. And for a lot of the kids who are coming to me, a lot of the teens, they'd had previous therapists before who really weren't able to understand that level of commitment that I think that a lot of us have gone through at various points of knowing that we're capable of more being stretched too thin across too many areas and adding something else to our schedule that is telling us slow down, you're doing too much and really being able to apply it in a way that 
in my case that I think that I was able to start doing differently than some of these teens' previous experiences was talking about the benefit of it in a way that helps them achieve their goal rather than it being just received as here's something that you're just putting this boundary in and you're not allowing me to do stuff. And part of that really comes across with having some of my own experiences and looking at whether it be sports failures or things that I learned along the way of being able to face the challenges that I did and be able to turn my experiences and my failures into teaching moments. And once that started to catch on and get within the the parenting community of other parents who see how the kids who are coming to me were achieving that next level, that success kind of begets success. And so now I'm able to kind of share some very, you know, watered down client stories of, oh, I've had another client who faced this kind of a challenge with a coach. And this is something that we tried that worked. Mm-hmm. And so the more stories that I've been able to collect, which is you know really such a, what our job is, is collecting stories and being able to apply it to new people, is been able to help more and more of my clients across more and more different avenues. Hmm. That's cool. You mentioned earlier that one of the ways that you get referrals for the practice is through local schools. What are two other ways that you get referrals? So my website is very much about what my experience is and very much about what my passion is. It's not just a resume, but I go into some of the stories that have led me into some different avenues of my practice. Mm-hmm. I've been certified in EMDR now for a while, and I talk about my experience with EMDR after a cycling accident and mm-hmm. just kind of being able to look at what the process difference was between traditional therapy and EMDR. And people have really resonated with being able to look at the experiences that I've been able to put on my website in that personal touch that then helps them select in a lot better. I mean, I'm glad you said that because I one of the things right now is I'm working on retweaking my private practice website. And I have like one of the things I noticed in the first generation of my own website was I was very... I mean, I tried, you know, I tried to like share my stories, but I think I was like so scared. Whereas this iteration, like, and maybe this is part of it is, you know, my niche is sort of entrepreneurs and, and maybe part of this is I've done this thing for a couple of years and I was a couple of uh, several stories and experiences. But what's one of the things that I'm trying to do is just to be more open and honest about it, you know, just because I feel like there is like in, I think about like, all, you know, the clients that we see, right? Like they want to know that they want to feel understood at the end of the day, you know? They do. And if we really start to look at that therapeutic alliance in the traditional sense, we've been taught that it's something that exists after the first three sessions. And I'm really looking at this 21st century as the therapeutic alliance is starting before people even call you. They're looking at what you're doing on your website, in social media, any of this kind of stuff and saying he's or she is likely to get me sooner. And so I really believe strongly in having that kind of information out there that I can put my athletic experience out there. And again, this being the 21st century, it's probably on Google somewhere that if you go deep enough, you can see some of my high school athletic results. So why not take ownership of that and really be able to convey that, yes, I do come across from this lifestyle. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like, and I, of course we have to always be discretionary about what it is, but I feel like something like that, one, it it helps you to stand out, but then two, it's like, 
you know, when you're talking, for example, like, I don't know, you've got a high achieving team that's, let's just say that's like a marathon runner, right? You get it. You're not just another therapist that's trained in whatever, whatever, right? You actually competed in high school. You <laughs> yeah. are certain, right? That, right. I don't know, for me as like a potential, I'm always like putting myself in that, in the shoes of a client or a parent in this case for you, right? I'm always like, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like, my child would do great because, you know, he seems to understand what's going on. And if that saves three or four sessions, and especially in my niche, that's three or four sessions earlier that somebody can go back to practice it's, or have the extra rest time in their schedule to be able to implement some of the things that we're talking about. And that's really so much of where my passion in this comes is being able to see the successes that people have, be able to you know, every so often I see a client, you know, kind of reach that next level just because they're in the news. And that's awesome because that's probably something that I had an influence in. And it helps make me feel more impassioned to see the successes of my clients in that way. That's cool. So in terms of referrals, you you are, you said schools, websites, slash social media, any other kind of? I have also really developed a really good touch with the local therapist community and really been able to talk about my niche even with other therapists and really having a good spirit with everybody else and really making sure that I'm known for the things that I'm passionate about. So that way when another therapist is like, hey, my my client's kid is facing this thing and I think that they're going to respond to you because you talk about all these other things that you do and this kid sounds kind of like you in trying to take on so much stuff. And so I've really developed a really good word of mouth referral within other therapist community. And that has really helped to solidify this as well. And even with other teen therapists who would seemingly be some of my, you know, quote unquote competition are some of my best friends and some of the best referral networks that we have for each other. Because when we niche like this, we're best able to say, okay, I don't think that I'm going to respond to this client very well, but I think that they're going to be a great match for you. Or I'm kind of overwhelmed with like, I don't get that this client's going to get me. They feel that they're smarter than me. They're you know achieving more than me. That might be a Kurt client. And really having embraced the aspects of the therapist community in a lot of ways of support and being able to provide resources for each other has really actually been one of the absolute strongest referral networks for me. That's really cool. I love that like way of looking at things because it comes from like a strength-based perspective, right? And it's there's such a, a humility in saying, you know what, I can't serve everyone. And even within the niche of teens, like I'm not meant for everyone. And and I think you're saying this, which is that, you know, this is like really less about me and the services I provide, but at the end of the day, like how can we help this teen, right? And it and whether it's me or someone that's in my in my referral network. Right. And I think especially early in our careers, we might all run into this kind of desire to serve everyone Mm -hmm. and practice in Los Angeles. So there's tons of therapists here that are going to be able to niche across tons and tons of different areas. But I can say just even from my own happiness perspective of being able to consistently see the types of clients that are going to respond to me, that I'm going to respond to, that I'm going to feel energized by at the end of the day, makes my practice so much better and makes it so much better for me and helps me to go into the office day after day. That's awesome. Kurt, I wanted to 
wrap up with a, a final question, which is your practice is your private pay and and you charge $225 an hour, which is not cheap, right? So take us inside that first call when you know parents are interested in your services. What would you say are three things that you do within that call or that first contact to, I guess, alleviate any fears and help clients or potential clients realize that, you know, that time is is worth it? And this is really where the whole concept of being in a pay for service practice, and, and I do provide super bills, but is demonstrating the value of coming into therapy, bringing their child into therapy. And be able to talk to the level of what parents are going through in that initial phone call. So if I get a phone call from somebody who's, you know, hey, my kid is facing X, Y, and Z situations, it's really being able to talk to the parent as far as, okay, let's start strategizing what might be best as far as you being able to help reinforce what we might be talking about and really bringing in kind of this whole idea of it's not just me as the expert. There's a ton of people in your child's life and the way that we can all activate together and be able to support some of the changes is what's going to make this sustainable. While my fee might be a little bit higher than somebody down the street, what I'm bringing is a certain level of experience with this, but also that And I make this joke to it, a number of of the families that I work with is, I want to help your kid to where I'm never going to see them again. Mm. And I want to be able to do that in an efficient way and be able to really speak to the needs of, of your family. And with that comes having a nice, solid plan from that initial phone take, phone intake through the first couple of sessions and really start to strategize that okay, there's some unique differences that we're going to need to adjust to here, but success means being able to achieve that goal, feel better about this, be able to handle this kind of distress tolerance, whatever it might be. But alleviating that fear in the first phone call is best done by demonstrating an authentic value of what you can provide for that family. Yeah, so it, I like it because like it's talking about you as part of the larger system. And even I think, I know for me, I've, I've gotten stuck on this where I just focus on the the fee and I'm like, oh, you know, am I charging it up? Am I not charging it up? But what you're also saying is like that fee really represents that sort of your cumulative experiences. Right. And that if you're paying a little bit more for me across, you know, 10 sessions, but if you're going to spend 25 sessions with somebody else, where's your cost savings? Right. And being able to really bring in kind of what that experience means. And especially those first you know, handful of phone calls that you really start getting into this fee discussion, it's hard to put your value out there, especially if you've been spending a number of years being underpaid pre-licensed work and then all of a sudden really advocating for yourself as far as what it is that you do. But when I start talking with parents about how the efforts that I put into my practice mirror the types of training that people put into athletics or they put into learning an instrument at a high level, parents start to also understand that not only do I get it, but it's also aspects that I implement for myself Mm. and I'm paralleling, I'm living what I'm selling. Mm. 
Yeah. And that's such a good way to look at it. Kurt, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for just sharing your insight. This is not even my niche and I like felt excited talking to you about it. So I really am I'm grateful for your sincerity and just your willingness to share. Where can we learn more about you and the good work that you're doing in the world? So my website is kurtwithhelm.com, C-U-R-T-W-I-D-H-A-L-M.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, Therapy. It's one of those things that I'm adding into my practice and getting a little bit more up to date on with that. And if you want to follow my podcast, Modern Therapist Survival Guide, uh, you can check that out at mtsgpodcast.com. Perfect. And I'll put that on the show notes page for you guys, which you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 213. Kurt, thank you again for doing this. Thank you. It's such an awesome to be here. Have a great rest of your day. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kurt. And especially if you are struggling with niching and thinking through niching, or even if you work with teens and that's an area that you have a passion for, I hope that Kurt has given you just that extra dose of inspiration to to get going. As I was thinking through this conversation, and just, it's funny, when, <laughs> you guys won't be able to see this because it's a podcast interview, but I was like jotting down all these notes. And one of the things that I was just taking away is, one, you know, to own the sub-niches that we have clinical interest in, right? And then we should definitely do research and figure out if there's a need there. But you know, there is this power of niching. And I forgot who told me this, but, you know, they said, you know, try to niche down two levels and see where that goes. So for example, you know, with my private practice, it's not just, you know, every single entrepreneur out there, but it's sort of high achieving entrepreneurs slash startup owners. So it's something that I'm experimenting with and I encourage you to experiment with as well. The second thing I, I took away, and I think this is more of a, a self-care thing for me, but uh, Kurt was talking about the importance of rest. You know, I feel like, especially in this, as we build our practices and as we build our businesses, there is this pull. I think this happens in a lot of, you know, professional communities outside of our field, but definitely in our field, you know, there's this pull to want to do more and more and more. And I think the one thing that that I learned from Kurt's conversation is the power of rest. I was thinking about the times that I've been very thoughtful about resting. It's actually sparked so many good ideas and and has given me permission to like think about different think about things differently. And I think one of the things that especially in 2020 I'm gonna be doing more is setting aside intentional time for for rest just for kind of leisure and not feel guilty about that. So Kurt mentioned a number of resources. Again, you can find that on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash and the number forward slash and the number two one three. And Kurt's website again is over at kurtwithelm.com. And as we finally as we wrap up I, again, I just wanted to thank the team over at Wellness Five for supporting today's podcast session and this month's podcast episodes. As I mentioned right at the beginning, Wellnessfy is basically modernized bookkeeping and tax services for private practices. I actually got to, I've had multiple conversations with, with Eddie, who's the owner of Wellnessfy. And the really cool thing is Eddie's significant other is a therapist that's in private practice. So he knows the nuances of our space and some of the things to think about when it comes to taxes, especially if you're in a season now 
especially as we get toward uh, toward tax filing, where you're looking for tax prep services. And even in this new year, as you are looking for like bookkeeping services or trying to figure out the direction of your business and trying to figure out, you know, how you should set up your business to maximize profit. Also keep with compliance. I encourage you to check out Wellnessfy. They're over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash wellnessfy. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.